the Prospect Sermons podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, senior pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's word, point you toward the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. As he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Oh, it's so hard to get up here and preach after that. Oh, because it's so good. That is so good. Thank you, Scott and Kim. Thank you, Scott and Kim, for leading us in worship and preparing our hearts this morning to worship. You just do such a fine job. I want to thank uh, our guests who are here with us this morning. Um, we know that you could literally be anywhere this morning, and so it is a privilege and an honor for you to come and worship with us. And all we ask you to do is that you would fill out those little cards in your bulletin just so that we would have a record of you being here, but more importantly, that we could get to know you, that we could pray for you if you needed anything. Um, that's what it's about. We just want you to feel at home this morning. And feel like you can worship with us. And so uh, the blessing and the honor of having a pastor who believes in expository preaching. And what that means is someone who preaches line by line, verse by verse throughout a whole book of the Bible. Is that when he comes to you and asks you to preach, you don't have to worry about where you're going to be preaching at. He asked, uh, Brother Parker asked me about five weeks ago if I would do this. And after I kind of... uh, regained my consciousness after he asked me, because it's been a long time, y'all, after he asked me to do this, uh, he went right into, he said, you'll be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. So I've been able to prepare for weeks and weeks, and so that's been a blessing uh, to be able to to have a pastor who is faithful to God's Word, who preaches God's Word week in and week out. And when he's able to take a vacation and to rest with his family, we can just continue on uh, where we've left off at. And so we will be in Galatians chapter 3 this morning, uh, verses 10 uh, through 14. Um, Just as a little bit of a recap, if you've not been here, we know that Paul is the author of this letter written to the Galatians. We see that in chapter 1, verse 1. We also know that this letter was not just written to one church, but it was written to multiple churches in the region of Galatia. We see that in verse 2. And we believe that these churches that would have been reading this letter would have been the churches that Paul planted on his missionary journeys that we read about in the book of Acts. Poseidon, Antioch, we see in Acts 13. Iconium, we read about in Acts 13 as well. Lystra, Acts 14 and 16, and also Derbe, Acts 14 and 16. Before before Paul was a convert, Paul was Saul, and Saul was a law keeper. And in Acts 22, we see that he was mentored by the famous rabbi Gamaliel, where he received a thorough training in the Old Testament scriptures. We'll get to that, and that'll be more important as we continue on. 
In Galatians 3, 10 through 14, Paul is just throwing Old Testament passage after Old Testament passage after us. Even as we saw last week, he's doing the same this week. You can say that Paul was a big deal. He was a superstar that was coming up through the ranks. He had all the qualifications. And he boldly wrote in Philippians 3, 4 through 6, that if anyone could have had justification through the flesh, it would have been him. He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, circumcised on the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Yet we know that even though Paul had all the worldly qualifications to be a religious leader, what he really needed was a radical transformation that only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, which he received on the road to Damascus. And we read about that in Acts 9. It was during Paul's encounter with the risen Christ that he was radically saved from his sin and commissioned to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, the very people he had once been persecuting. Like in most of Paul's letters, the letter of Galatians was written to oppose and to shine a light on false practices that had arisen within the church. And in this case, it would have been justification by works of the flesh and not relying on the finished work of Christ on the cross for our salvation. That was the heresy that was trying to infiltrate the church. It was a, yes, you can believe, on, you can believe in Jesus, but you also have to believe in all this other stuff to go with it. And Paul is saying, listen, folks, that's not what it's about. It's not a Jesus plus anything. It's in Christ alone, like what we just sang about. And we see the seriousness and the urgency of what is going on here by how Paul begins the letter. In most of uh, Paul's letters, he begins with a commendation and a courtesy for the ones he's writing to. We'll see in Ephesians 1, 15 through 16, listen to the tone and the love of Paul's voice and the way he's introducing and the way he's writing these letters. In Ephesians 1, 15 and 16, he says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. You see Paul's heart? Philippians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, he starts off like this. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you, all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he has, that he who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You can see his heart there as well, right? Colossians 1, 3 and 4, he says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. But look at the difference in the introduction to the Galatians. Look at how Paul, even though he loves them, he's written this great letter to them, Listen to the tone in his voice. In verse 3 and 4, he says, in chapter 1, 3 and 4, he says, Grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. He's trying to make them remember. He says, he's given himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. 
And we expect to see this from Paul. This is how Paul begins his letters. This is Paul reminding these folks who God the Father is. This is Paul and him reminding these folks of who Jesus Christ is. And then look at the shift from here. Look at how Paul changes the tone of his voice in verse 6. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. It's like Paul's heart is broken. He's saying, brothers, we've planted this church. We've started this church. I preached the gospel to you. You know the gospel. And now you're turning to a different gospel. I mean, you can see his heart is breaking. And so we see very early on on what, in, on what is plaguing the church. It's someone or false prophets. They're trying to come in and they're trying to preach a different gospel than what Paul is preaching to these Galatians. They are preaching a works-based Jesus plus salvation and not salvation by faith alone. And then we start in chapter 3. We've been working our way through the book here, week after week. Brother Parker's been so faithful. Week after week, we're working our way through. And then in chapter 3, we see Paul once again. It's almost as if he's angry or even upset. He says to these Galatians who once started so strong that has been deceived into believing a false gospel. Look at what he says in verses 2 and 3. He says, I only want to learn this from you. I mean, I think sometimes we read the Bible and it's just monotone. This is not Paul being monotone. Look at his heart here. He's saying, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? He's saying, when I came in, did you believe what you heard? Is that how you received the Spirit? By what you heard from me, the gospel or, are you, or did you receive it by the works of the law? He says, after beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Wow. After beginning by the Spirit, are you now going to try and finish by the flesh? Wow. Paul's asking these hard questions to get them to think about what's going on in their hearts and in their minds. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what I want to do as well this morning. I want us to see and to listen to God's word and what he has for us this morning. And I'm praying that a couple of things will happen. When Brother Parker asked me to preach this message, there were two things that came upon my heart that I have been praying week after week for. And one is that if you're sitting uh, within the sound of my voice this morning and you are relying on the law and good works, or if you're believing in a false gospel this morning, that you will be utterly buried and overwhelmed by the burden that you are placing on yourself right now. And my prayer is that you will run to Jesus. That's my prayer is that you will, that you will forget these false doctrines, that you will forget all of this Jesus plus stuff, and that you will just run to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. And the second thing that I've been praying for is that if you're sitting out in this auditorium this morning and you are truly a believer, you have truly placed 
your faith and, and, and your, you've placed everything that you have, your faith in Christ Jesus, that this morning that you will be full of rest, that you will just rest and take comfort in the fact that Christ has accomplished all that he has set out to do. That's what I, I pray for you. And so out of respect and honor for God's word this morning, I'd ask you to stand as we read Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. It says this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Jesus Christ so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Father God, we love you this morning, and we are so thankful, God, that it is not by the law, it is not by what we can accomplish, but God, it is only through faith. Lord God, it is in faith in your son, Jesus Christ to accomplish all that he wills. Lord God, I pray that if there's one in our midst this morning who does not know you as their Savior, that, Lord God, today you would soften their heart of stone. And, Lord God, turn it into a heart of flesh. That, Lord God, you would give them ears to hear and eyes to see. And that, God, even as we read the Scripture this morning and your Word is preached, that, Lord God, there would be those in our midst that would run to you, Father. They would run to you. For God, without you, we have no hope. So, Lord God, we love you this morning. Thank you for saving our soul. It's in Christ's name that I do pray. Amen. You may be seated. Paul, knowing the Old Testament Scripture, begins to work his way through what salvation is has always been about. From the beginning, as we so beautifully saw last week in the story of Abraham, salvation has always been about grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. This brings us to our first point this morning. It's the law, all or nothing. Last week we were confronted with the overwhelming truth that Abraham was justified because of his faith in God. We know Abraham was obedient, but it was because he had faith in God, right? That was the purpose. This week, Paul is going to continue on to hammer the point home by referencing back to Moses and also by painting us a beautiful picture through the minor prophet Habakkuk, and we'll look at both of those. And it's at this point that Paul is about to give them two options. He's about to hammer two stakes in the ground. And his readers and his listeners are going to be confronted with these two stakes. And they're going to have to stand by one or the other. The first one is 
this, where the stake is. It's the law, okay? The one on which you choose to live in such a way that you are relying on yourself and your works to accomplish salvation. The other stake is faith, the one where Christ has accomplished for you all that is needed for the assurance of your salvation. Your salvation is either by God's grace through faith and the finished work of Christ on a cross, or you're trying to earn your salvation through relying on yourself to keep the law and not only to keep the law, but to keep it perfectly. Let me say that again so you'll hear it. Your salvation is either by God's grace through faith alone, through the finished work of Christ on the cross, or it's by you trying to earn your salvation through relying on yourself to keep the law, and not only to keep the law, but to keep it absolutely perfectly. Paul says in verse 10 here, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Paul, he was a master theologian. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. He knew that salvation has always been about faith. And he begins to point these churches in Galatia from Abraham now to Moses. He's moving ahead in the story here. And he starts to quote a passage out of Deuteronomy chapter 27. If you will, you can turn there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 27. And we're going to hear a beautiful story <clears throat> and so Moses, in verse 1, Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all of the commandments which I command you today. And when Moses said this, Moses wasn't just referring to the Ten Commandments. Moses was referring to not only the Ten Commandments, but every law and command throughout everything we can see in Leviticus, Deuteronomy. I mean, we're talking about food laws. We're talking about how to treat the poor. We're talking about how a slave should be treated. We're talking about keeping of festivals and holidays and how war is supposed to be done, rules for war the fair treatment of women. I mean, he's talking about all these things. He's talking about cleanliness laws and marriage and divorce laws, fair weights and measures. There's so many laws in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. He's talking about them all. And in verse 1, he says, Moses with the elders commanded the people saying, keep all of the commandments which I command you today. And this is, the, this is the story that is happening here. We know that there's 12 tribes, the children of Israel. There's 12 tribes. And he splits them up into two groups. Six tribes on one mountain, Mount Gerizim. Six tribes on another mountain, Mount Ebal. And the children of Israel are going through the valley into the promised land. So get that picture in your head. Six tribes on one side, six tribes on the other. This six tribes on the Mount of Gerizim, they're giving us these blessings. It's blessings that the Lord will do. 
And for some reason, we don't get to read about those in Deuteronomy. He leaves those out. But then the, the six tribes on the Mount Ebal, they are pronouncing the curses on the children. And we actually get to read those. You can read those all throughout Deuteronomy 27. But this is how it goes. I'm not going to read all of them, but this is kind of how it goes. It would, it would basically say, now get, it, get the picture in your mind. The children are walking through the valley, and these tribes on each side, one of them saying, to the one of you who dishonors his father and mother, a curse on you. And all those people walking through, it says that they would, they would shout out, Amen. Amen. I agree with that. I believe that. I will do that. That's what they're saying. Curse after curse after curse. And every time the people are saying, Amen. I believe that. I will do that. Right? You get that picture in your head, right? Verse 26, Deuteronomy 27, 26. Moses says, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law. Everything. Every law. Everything that you've ever learned. If you don't... If you don't Live by it perfectly, you're cursed. And the people are saying, Amen. I agree with that. I believe that. I will do it. And it's at this point that the children of Israel should have been crying out to God, God, there is no possible way I can keep these laws. There is no way I can keep them, God. Why? Am I even trying? But instead, they're in their heart. They're saying, amen, we'll do them. We'll do them, Lord. We'll do them. They should have been crying out to God that there was no way that we could keep these laws. So in other words, what he's saying here is keeping nine out of the Ten Commandments is not good enough. Keeping nine out of the Ten Commandments is not good enough. Keeping 300 of the laws out of 350 is not good enough. It's not good enough. Let's get real this morning. How many in here have ever told a lie? Yeah, Brother Lee's raising his hand. Anybody else want to admit it? Yeah, who's... Who's stolen something? You know, it doesn't have to be big. It can be time from your employer. How many in here has ever lusted in their heart? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus said if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. I mean, we're just starting on the Ten Commandments, y'all, and you failed them all already. Right? You're already failures in those. So by our own admission this morning, we are admitting that we're lying, thieving, adulterers at heart. I mean, we're just getting started, right? So here's what I hope you see this morning, is that you cannot keep the law. 
You cannot keep the law. Trying to keep the law for your salvation will bury you under the weight of your sin. That's what it does. The law is a mirror. You look at it and you realize, oh my goodness, I have failed, right? That's what the law does. Listen to what, here's how James 2.10 explains it. James says, for whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking them all. That's what James 2.10 says. This truly buries us. Even if you're sitting in your seat this morning and you're thinking, how dare you, Jeff, call me a liar? How dare you call me a thief? James is saying, listen, you may have actually kept most of them. You may actually be doing pretty good compared to others around you. I'm sure Pat's much better than I am, right? Yeah, we can compare ourselves to each other. Eh. But James says, if you have not kept them all, you've broken them all. This is the standard. Listen to me. This is the standard. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. Do not compare yourself to me. This is the standard. He who calls you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So the standard is not me. The standard is to be as holy as God. That's the standard. That's the standard is to be as holy as God. Now listen to how the Bible refers to who we are. You're going to get your feelings hurt. Psalm 51.5 says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. That's how we were brought forth, was in sin. Romans 3.10-12 says, None is righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. That's every one of us. Isaiah 64, 6. Brother Gene brought this out Wednesday night in our, in our lesson. It says, our righteousness, the very best you can give, is like filthy rags. That's the best you can give, is like filthy rags. So to recap point one, Moses is saying that there is a curse on everyone who cannot keep the law perfectly. James 2.10 says that if you've stumbled even at one point, you've broken them all, and the standard of holiness is the holiness of God. And yet Isaiah 64.6 is saying that the best we can offer is like filthy rags. This paints a very bleak picture for us, right? So with that in mind, let's turn our attentions to verses 11 and 12, and let's read what Paul has to say here. Galatians 3, 11 and 12 says, says, Now it is clear that no one is justified, that means declared righteous, no one is justified before God by the law. Because the righteous will live by faith, but the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will love by them. Some translations say we'll live by them. So point two this morning in our message is it is by faith alone. 
Paul has just given this definitive statement that if you want to rely on the law, then you must keep the entire law. Then he gave an example in the Old Testament showing just how utterly impossible it was to keep the entire law. In fact, at this point, everyone in Paul's audience and everyone in our audience today should be asking the question, well, then how can we gain favor with God? Paul knows the wickedness of man's heart. We just read them. God, God shows us in his word. Paul reveals it in his word here in the, in the word, in the Bible. It says, Paul knows the wickedness of man's heart. Paul knows that we can't keep the law. Paul knows that we're always trying to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and that given the choice, we will always depend on ourselves before depending on God. Paul, I believe, at this point, even recognizes that there is a shroud of mystery that surrounds putting our faith in Christ. And he gives us this beautiful picture here, this amazing Old Testament passage in Habakkuk. And that and it should, I hope, encourage us and bring peace to our hearts when we reflect on it. So I'm going to turn into Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to be there just for a minute. And as I'm reading through Habakkuk here, and we're going through, I want you to think of this verse in your head. I want you to be thinking about this verse. It's Isaiah 55, 8. And it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is the Lord speaking. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Keep that in the back of your head. So Paul chooses to go to this minor prophet, Habakkuk. And believe me, Paul knew the Scriptures. And Paul wants to show his audience here that just like the children of Israel before them, God is able and will do whatever He chooses to do to accomplish His will. He'll do whatever He chooses to do to accomplish His will. And so this is the history of the children of Israel. It goes like this. It's a, it's a cycle. A time of blessing and peace, right? We can read about that. And then they would get very comfortable with who they were. And then they'd stop relying on God, right? And so they would fall away, and then there would be a season of persecution and a season of hardship. And then when they're in that season of persecution and hardship, then that's when they would return back to the Lord and repent, and the Lord would save them. And it was a cycle in, in their history over and over and over. And during the time of Habakkuk, there was oppression all around. And Habakkuk could not understand how God could stand by idle and let it all happen. There was injustice and wrongdoing going on. There was oppression and violence that was happening. There was strife and conflict. Does this sound familiar? And Habakkuk says the, the very thing, the truest statement that he could ever utter, he says it in verse 4. And listen to, listen to it here. It says, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity? And cause me to see trouble. 
For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention. There is strife and contention arises. Now listen to what he says in verse 4. Therefore, the law is powerless. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. And at this point, we see that God interjects himself into the story here. It's like they're having a conversation. Habakkuk and God are speaking. And, and Habakkuk, I love, you know, just he's pouring his heart out to the Lord. The things he's saying are not wrong. God wants to hear from his children. He wants us to, to you know, tell him everything that's on our hearts and, and it's troubling us. And God goes on to tell Habakkuk that he's about to do something that will not make sense to him. He's about to raise up for his name's sake an evil group of people, the Chaldeans, and they are going to accomplish the Lord's work. Wow, that's something, isn't it? Listen to what the Lord says. He says, look, in verse 5, Among the nations, and watch, be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. And then he goes on to kind of finish out telling Habakkuk who these people are. I mean, these were a, a people of war. This was a warlike people. And, and my goodness, I mean, if you just read about them, I mean, it says even that their horses were swifter than leopards. You know, I mean, God has given all these descriptions here. And Habakkuk is utterly confused and astounded that God would do something like this. He, he goes on in verse 12, he says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. I mean, he's saying, Lord, you're, you're about to raise up this evil group of people for judgment and correction for your people? I mean, that, that kind of doesn't sound right, does it? But I love Habakkuk's heart here. Even though he doesn't understand what God is doing, Listen to what he says here in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. And so in other words, Habakkuk is saying, I'm going to stand guard. I'm going to watch and see what God says to me. And I will repent when I'm corrected and I'm going to do what I'm told. That's what Habakkuk is saying he's going to do. In other words, he's saying, I will have faith that God will accomplish all that he has set out to do. And look at how God responds to him in verse 2 through 4. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. And this is where Paul gets his verse from. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. 
That's where Paul gets this verse from. Paul is saying to the churches in Galatia, and I believe this should ring true in our hearts as well today, that you may not understand what's going on around you. You may not feel like that there's even hope. I mean, look at our world, folks. You may even feel like God doesn't care and that He's allowing all of this injustice to take place. And you may feel like the best way to gain God's favor is by doing as much as you possibly can to show Him just how worthy you are. But folks, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not keeping the law. The gospel is not keeping the law because no one can keep it perfectly. The gospel is not observing the Jewish holidays. The gospel is not keeping the Jewish food laws. The gospel is not circumcision. And all those things may sound really strange, right? Because we don't really observe those anymore. The gospel is not speaking in tongues. The gospel is not walking an aisle. The gospel is not being baptized or joining a church. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not good works. The gospel is not Jesus plus anything. That's not the gospel. And we hold on to these things because we believe in our hearts that in Christ alone, what we just sang, is just too easy. So we have to hold on to all this other stuff, don't we? And it doesn't make sense to us. The Lord told Habakkuk in verse 4, He says, It's the proud. His soul is not upright. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17 says that there are six things, yes, even seven things that God hates. That's right. God does hate things. The first thing that God hates is a proud look. A proud look. It's someone who says, Lord, I don't need you. I can do this myself. God hates that. And that's exactly what these Chaldeans were doing, but it's the exact same thing that we do today as well. Yeah, I'll throw a little bit of Jesus in with everything else. It's being prideful. That's what that is. It's relying on yourself. It's thinking that you know better than God does. And God hates that. That brings us to our last point this morning. Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> and it says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised Spirit through faith. And Paul has spent a lot of time showing the churches in Galatia what the gospel is not. And now he turns his attention to proclaiming what Christ has done on their behalf as well as ours. He's about to proclaim here what the gospel is. Look at verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us. And Paul uses the word redeemed in verse 13. That word redeemed means to buy back. It was, the, it was often used in terms of buying back a slave or a debtor and giving them freedom. When it talks about being redeemed and being bought back, it's not someone who paid the most money 
It was someone who gave the most of themselves. That's what that term means, right? And Peter would even go on to say it like this in 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. That's the best we have to offer, silver or gold. And he's saying you weren't redeemed by those corruptible things from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. As the lamb without blemish and without spot, the best we can give is silver and gold. That's the best we can offer. And he's saying, you weren't redeemed with that. That's perishing. He said, you were redeemed with the blood of Christ. Paul would, uh, would even go on to say it like this in Ephesians. Ephesians 1.7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Paul also uses this phrase in verse 13. He says that he became a curse for us. He became a curse for us. Peter says it this way in 3.18, 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Christ also suffered once for sins. The just for the unjust. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. This needs to be seared into our brains this morning. There has to be punishment for sin. There has to be punishment for evil. We can understand this concept in our own society, right? Someone does wrong, if there is a murder, if there's any kind of sin that takes place, the first thing that you'll hear out of somebody's mouth is, I demand justice. We demand justice for that. They can't get away with that. That's what we hear, right? So we understand that there has to be punishment for sin. Here's the problem, though. That cross that Jesus died on, that cross should have been for me. That cross that Jesus died on, that should have been your cross. You see, we deserve punishment. We deserve the punishment. We're sinners. We're guilty. We deserve it. Even the thief on the cross, as one of them was mocking Jesus, the other one was saying, listen, man, we deserve what we're getting. He doesn't. We deserve the punishment. A term that we just don't talk about very often that is a very beautiful and rich biblical word is propitiation. And you see that God demands justice against sin. He does. God demands justice against sin. And the word propitiation means that the justice required has been satisfied or accomplished. That's what that word means, propitiation. We get that word or that term 
from a verse like 1 John 4.10, and it says, In this, this is love. This is, the, this is what this verse says. It says, This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sin. So basically, Christ has paid for our, our sin, right? That's what He's done. He's satisfied God's wrath for us. Here's the thing. There's only two ways to satisfy God's wrath. That's it. There's only two ways to satisfy God's wrath towards sin. And one should shake you to your core. It's that you satisfy it yourself. The problem is, is that you can never fully pay off or satisfy your sin debt. So in other words, you're paying the penalty for your sin in eternity in hell. That's one way you, you pay for your sin. I hear a lot of people today who say that they don't believe in hell. I hear that a lot. It's becoming more and more prevalent in our culture. I've even heard people say, how can a good God... Send people to hell. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that. But do you realize that if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus speaks more about hell than he does heaven? Hell is real. Matthew 18, 8, and 9 said, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's better that you enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two feet or two hands and to be cast into everlasting fire. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Christ is getting your attention. There is a hell, folks. And if you don't repent and turn from your evil ways, that's where you will pay for your sin. That's where you'll pay for it. But the second way to appease or to satisfy God's wrath is to rely on someone that is capable to fulfill God's wrath for you. you. Namely, Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And why would Christ do this for us? Paul explains it in verse 14. The purpose was that the blessing or salvation would come to us, Gentiles. That's why Christ did it. It's to save sinners. That's why Christ did it. Christ accomplished this for us. Once a believer, God gives us the Holy Spirit. We're born again. We have the Holy Spirit living inside us. Old things have passed away. New things have become new. All things have become new. So my prayer, once again, in preparing for this message has been that if you are relying on your salvation, being about your good works or fulfilling the law, and it's anything other than grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, that Christ this morning has crushed you under the weight of your sin. That's been my prayer. 
and that you would be overwhelmed by your sin and that you would have nowhere else to go but to Christ. That you would flee from sin, that you would run from Christ, and that you would realize that the one and only Savior is Jesus Christ who can give you eternal life. That's been my prayer for you this morning. My, my prayer also has been for you saints out in this auditorium who are struggling with everything that's going on in the world and that you would read a passage like this and realize that you can rest. You can rest and have comfort in knowing that you don't have to accomplish anything. It's been done for you. It has been, it's been completed. Christ on the cross said it is finished. It is finished. So saints, beloved, rest in that as you carry on with your life. This altar is always open. Our, our folks know this. Guests, our altar is always open. You do what you need to do this morning. If you need to ask God for forgiveness, if you need to repent of your sins, if you need to become a believer today, don't let, that, don't let today pass you by. You do what you need to do. You can do that in your, in your seat. You don't have to come up here. Uh, anything that needs to be done today, please feel free to do what God is telling you to do. Let's pray. Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. If you'd like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website at prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. If you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. If you're not comfortable doing that at this time, we understand, but please know we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast.